And then Belshazzar stopped in the horrid silence that fell upon that, that revelry. The knees of Belshazzar began to knock. He feared and trembled. Now, Mini means numbered. Tekel means to be weighed in the scales. And Eupharsin means to divide. But of course, Belshazzar didn't know that. And the mystery of not knowing the writing, well, it was killing him. His own advisors, his astrologers could not help. And so the queen sent for Daniel. And when he came, he eventually interpreted the very words for Belshazzar. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and today we're back into the book of Daniel, chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at this man, Belshazzar. What a fool. I trust you will listen through. Enjoy the ministry of Let the Bible Speak. Well, I have to tell you tonight that I have come to really like Daniel. I wish that he could be my buddy, because the more that I keep in his company, the more I want to be like him. The more I learn of his heart, the more I pray, Lord, give me a heart like Daniel. The more I see him in the courts of kings, the more I realize that he is like the great king, the Lord Jesus. He is a Christ-like man. Daniel was a winner. He was like Joseph. He won the hearts of many, and of course, he was blessed of God, and in many ways, he was blessed by men. In fact, I like Daniel so well that when I was here at church yesterday, and I met some of the workers that were finishing off downstairs, I invited uh, one of them to come along to our church service. And I told him that I was preaching on Daniel and that he had been in Jerusalem and he'd been taken to Babylon, which is present-day Iraq. And he got the idea that Daniel was going to be here. Well, that would be something, wouldn't it? If I could introduce you tonight to the Daniel of the Bible. The other thing that is interesting is that Daniel was enduring. For he was God's man with God's message to a whole series of kings. Nebuchadnezzar, then Belshazzar, then Darius, and then Cyrus for a time. And while nations changed, Daniel lived on as the man in the center of things in Babylon. The other thing I noticed in this chapter, that while they tried to change his name, that when they needed Daniel in a hurry, and the queen, who was most likely the queen's mother, uh, that introduced Daniel to Belshazzar, that uh, she referred to him as Daniel. Now, he also got that other name, Belteshazzar. And when Belshazzar met Daniel for the first time, he says, Art thou that Daniel? Now, that's interesting. 
They had invested years of indoctrination and brainwashing to try and get these young Israelites uh, to cease from their Jewish ways and to take on a whole Chaldean persona. Didn't work very well because Daniel was known even in the city at that time as Daniel, not as his Chaldean heathen name, Belteshazzar. Now, this begs another question is, why did Daniel need to be introduced to Belshazzar? Why, if he was so renowned and well-known to his father, or his grandfather as it may be, that uh, he needed to be introduced? Well, as politicians often do, when they take over a new regime, they take on their own advisors. And so Daniel would have been set aside. He would not have been in the high places of power as advisors to a new king, at least not until now, not until this introduction when it is required that Daniel come and explain this writing on the wall. But what a contrast Daniel is to this Belshazzar, this king of Chaldea. He was a moral wretch. We're told here in this chapter that he held a feast for a thousand of his lords. And he put himself front and center on the stage to promote himself as a hard-drinking man. And it certainly worked if that was the advertisement that he wanted. Because there he stood before all his lords and all his chief men, and he demonstrated what a fool and how carnal he really was. And as he drank wine, and as he toasted to his thousand lords, and they to him, well, the wine soon mastered him. And Belshazzar sent for the golden vessels that had been carried from Jerusalem, the vessels of the sacred holy temple in Jerusalem. And these vessels now were to be used not only for their sodden, drunken spree, but also for their idolatry, because they raised their cups and they worshipped the gods of gold, of silver, of brass, and even of stone. You see, men will either serve the true God or they will serve the false. There is no such thing as neutral ground, no matter who you talk to and no matter he claims to be an atheist. There are no atheists. Everyone has a recognition of a deity, a recognition that they are themselves subject to higher power. But I wonder tonight, who do you serve? Do you serve the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, or do you serve the God of your own imagination? While they were doing that, God broke into and crashed the party. On the plaster of the wall, there appeared a man's hand, at least in part, and the fingers were scratching on the wall. Mini, 
meany, tickle, you farson. And then Belshazzar stopped in the horrid silence that fell upon that, that revelry. The knees of Belshazzar began to knock. He feared and trembled. Now, meany means numbered. Tickle means to be weighed in the scales. And Eupharsin means to divide. But of course, Belshazzar didn't know that. And the mystery of not knowing the writing, well, it was killing him. His old advisors, his astrologers, could not help. And so the queen sent for Daniel. And when he came, he eventually interpreted the very words for Belshazzar. And to sum it up, it meant, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. You will see that in verse 27. You might want to mark those words. They really are the essence of the message that came from God to Belshazzar that night. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. We learn from this that God will put all men on his way skills. God lives to rule the nations. He rules over kings and people. I would say to Justin Trudeau, beware because you will stand on the skills of God. I would say to John Horgan here in British Columbia, beware what you do and say because you're standing on the skills of God. And of course, we would say to all leaders, even fathers in homes, all who have responsibilities, be careful what you do, what you say, because your deeds are being weighed on the very balances of God. Belshazzar's judgment is indeed a preview of that great judgment day when all men will stand before God. How shall we do on that day? Here is a window tonight into the divine workings of God on that judgment day. When all is put on the scales, will it be said of you, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting? What are God's skills, you may be asking? Well, firstly, they are divine skills. These are not the skills of popular opinion. On the skills of popular opinion, well, Belshazzar may be a winner. His thousand lords would certainly vote for him, and they would accept all that he did as mere fun and pleasure and the jolly of the hour. And of course, they make a god out of a man, and the rule of man becomes the bar of success. And really, that is humanism. That's the standard of this world. And when man is, rules himself, and he rules those around him, well, 
as Belshazzar did. He was apparently a man of success, a man who, on the other hand, went overboard and turned into a blasphemer to mock the God of the Jews and then to praise his idols. But in the scales of popular opinion, that's okay. That's all right. Men do it all the time. But no, we learn that on this night, that as the writing was on the wall, that this was not in the scales of God, the thing that pleased the God of heaven. And so no wonder Belshazzar was trembling. No wonder he was full of fear because the hand is writing on the wall. There also, God's scales are of divine justice. Belshazzar was found wanting. And when you would weigh him up against the Ten Commandments, that's justice. That's what's right and wrong. Well, he breaks the very first commandment. He's an idolater. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And Belshazzar was found wanting. God, we are told, is a God of love. But here on these scales, Belshazzar was wanting. Isn't it strange that many people say, well, God is love. He will not do anything for me. But how do you do on the scale of your love for God? We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. How do you weigh on those scales? Are we not found wanting? Then there are the scales of God's omniscience. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Now on that night, when he threw this party for his thousand lords, Belshazzar must have been dressed in his finest, the finest of his silks. He presented himself in all the royal splendor as the king of the greatest city of the world as he would have projected it. He may have worn his diamonds and his red cloak of royalty, and he stood before men as a very impressive king. But God said, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting, because God's eyes saw him not in his outward appearance, but what he was in his heart, a moral wretch, an evil, wicked man who had defied and rebelled against God. When you go to the book of Revelation, you learn about the church at Pergamos, or sorry, Smyrna, and the Lord said to it, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know thy blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but the synagogue of Satan. What does God see in sinners who are out of Christ and who are yet in all their sins? And he calls them our, our best works, filthy rags. Those are the eyes 
of God's omniscience. But there's also on the scales God's divine omnipotence, his mighty power. How safe Belshazzar must have felt that night. He was surrounded by a thousand lords. There was probably a security man, a soldier, a guard for every lord, at least. It was a fortress palace. It was a place that would have felt to be impregnable. And yet God crashed that scene with his hand, the fingers moving upon the wall. And of course, we are warned that we can never, ever defy God with impunity. Now, their revelry turned to knees knocking very, very quickly. On the judgment day, how will you stand? How will you defend yourself? How will you give account when you are dealt with by the judgment of God? God's scales are also scales of divine truth. Belshazzar that night spoke blasphemies against the God of Israel. He mocked the temple worship of Jerusalem and its offerings. He defied the way to God by sacrifices. He proclaimed a lie to his lords that these idols were worth more than the Messiah of the Jews. And so the judgment of God came upon him. How will men do that have lived and taught the lie? How will those preachers, prelates, religious leaders who have hawked the notion that any God will do, how shall they stand on that judgment day? And if you are not a worshiper of God through the Lord Jesus, but you try to promote your own works, your own ways, the God of your own imaginations, how will you stand? Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. In light of what we've learned today about Daniel and Belshazzar, is there really a judgment day, you may be asking? What we have learned from Daniel chapter 5 is thrilling and sobering. It is the greatest drama imaginable. It is the stuff of movies. But does it apply to today? You might say it will never repeat itself and will never apply to me. You say, I will never make the same mistakes as Belshazzar. I will never stand in his shoes. 
But just hold on a moment. Belshazzar was but a man like you and me. He was human. He was a son of Adam. He was therefore answerable to God, and so are all men. This truth is consistently taught throughout the Bible. We have been created as moral beings with intelligence, with a conscience that acts as a compass in our hearts. We have the inner witness of right and wrong, which is the reality of God's law written on our hearts. These are things that are self-evident, all because we are accountable to God. Then we find that the ministry of Christ was about revealing the Father. He said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Part of that clear revelation of God to men was the fact that there is a judgment day. So much of what our Lord preached and taught was to call men to prepare for that judgment day, and the day when all men would stand before God at the Bema seat. When you go through the ministry of Christ in the Gospels, you find that the judgment day is very much to the fore. In Matthew's Gospel alone, you find the Lord's warnings about judgment eleven times. Eleven times! That is phenomenal. In all the scope of the ministry and the record of the Savior's life in one gospel, to find the warnings of the day of judgment eleven times is fearful. Let's quickly take a look at them. Matthew 5.21, Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, but whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. And then verse 22, But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the judgment. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell far. Chapter 7, 2 in Matthew. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And then Matthew ten fifteen, Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And Matthew eleven twenty two, But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And verse 24 of chapter 11, But I say unto you that it shall be tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Matthew 12, 18, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And then Matthew twelve thirty six, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Now we have still a few more to go, but I just want to pause and, and, and press home the point, every idle word that men shall speak, we will give a... Do you think of the, 
of the utterances of man in one day, even your own conversation in one day, and the blasphemies that are poured out, the name of Jesus that is taken in vain, the idle words, the, the lies and the deceit that is spewed out of mouths, every idle word, Jesus said, shall be brought to account on the judgment day. Now I continue here in Matthew chapter 12, 41. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. And then Matthew twelve forty two, The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And then Matthew 23, 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise of cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and to leave the other undone. And the Lord therefore puts judgment as one of the essentials. That's the very target and focus of gospel preaching, to prepare men for that judgment day. And that's what we find in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The whole call of the gospel made by Christ is that we should follow the Lord, trust in him for salvation, repent of the world in order to prepare for the judgment day. We are to count the cost of serving this world versus surrendering our lives to the Savior for salvation, and all because there is a day when men will give account to an all-seeing, all-knowing God who will judge us for every idle word and every wicked deed done in the body. And so, we need a Savior to be our advocate on that day and point to the saving, justifying power of His blood, which covers over our sins. Believe me, it will be a terrible thing for a sinner to stand before God without a Savior on that judgment day. Why? Because the Bible is very clear. It is appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. I beg of you today to surrender your heart to trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And by trusting him, you will be saved. On that judgment day, you will be free. You will stand free from sin, clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus himself. That's the gospel. And the gospel gets its punch from the fact it prepares men to stand before God on the judgment day. Take heed and trust the Lord today. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music